pediatric speech language pathologist and welcome to teach me to talk the podcast today this is show number 389 and we are continuing our series with pre-linguistic skills that all toddlers all kids master before words emerge and this is skill number four but before I do that every time I've been reviewing these 11 pre-linguistic skills for two reasons one if you're a therapist I want you to know these <laughs> I want you to be able to quote these I want when somebody talks to you about pre-linguistic skills that you start response to events in the environment response to people begins to take turns develops a longer attention span and so on so on so on so that you know what you're looking for and then you can sit there and run through this with a kid when a kid is not talking even mentally even before you do the assessment when you first start to get a referral and these may be some of the questions that you ask parents right at the very beginning and that's certainly something that I've adopted since 2016 when I first started looking at this and really really getting serious about it and I guess it was probably even before then 2014 or 15 but since then I really, really, really have begun to use that chart as part of my initial assessment or even part of a screening. Or now since we're in our new uh, ministry or new mission-based clinic here in Central Kentucky, when people just walk in off the street, that's certainly something that I have started to talk about with parents and ask them from the very beginning. Before I say how many words does she have, before I start all my regular you know, gestures would be included in this list, but these pre-linguistic skills are so important for you as an early intervention professional to own. So that's one of the reasons I repeat it. Secondly, is to kind of just, again, keep us on track here and, and help us remember uh, where we're going, how far we've come, and just this review. And if you're a parent, certainly, I want you to understand all that your child has to accomplish before those words emerge because sometimes with late talkers we do not give them the credit that they deserve we are just looking at that expressive vocabulary piece and feeling terrible <laughs> about where our child is and we feel we feel guilty about that we feel sorry for them we feel scared about their future and so for some parents this list of 11 skills is really 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 confirmation that hey we're on the right track except for the talking piece and so those are the reasons that I try to review that every single time so let's just do that right now I already said response to events in the environment secondly response to people third a child begins turn-taking fourth he or she develops a longer attention span fifth we look at joint attention, so that'll be next show, shift and shares uh, attention or shares an experience. Number six is plays with toys or a variety of toys appropriately and consistently. Number seven is the receptive language piece. Children understand early words and they follow directions. Number eight is they vocalize purposefully so they understand how to use their little voices to communicate with other people. Number nine, huge, is imitation. And it's not just words, it's actions, gestures, sounds, then words, then phrases. <laughs> and number 10 is uses early gestures, which again, if you are a therapist and you decide you're not going to use this list of pre-linguistic skills that you at least need to be asking parents before you say how many words does he or she have that you were saying tell me about her gestures how many gestures does she use does she wave bye-bye does she point does she clap does she nod her head yes and shake her head no those kinds of things and again remember why because it's evidence it's evidence-based that gestures emerge 
just before words emerge. Now, in some children, that just before is a long time. <laughs> so it's not completely predictive as, as, as far as duration of time that lapses, but we know that those gestures come first. And so that when we have a child who's really not talking yet, gestures again let us know this is not something that's going to happen you know in the next little bit we've got we've got to get these gestures going first and then number 11 initiates interactions with others so again we're on skill number four so let's jump right in and let me say that if you are just joining us and that that really is the second reason too if you were just joining us for the show and somehow you found it in the middle you know we're in the middle of this sequence this is show skill number five but skill number four but show number five in this series so that you realize this isn't just an isolated thing that we look for and with attention i can imagine that some parents or therapists will find this video on YouTube and again be extremely interested but not understand that this is not just an isolated topic. We are looking at this in the context of helping children or specifically toddlers and preschoolers with language delays, language disorders, late talkers, whatever you happen to call the little uh, one that you're concerned about or a whole caseload of little ones, that if you happen to find this about attention, you know that this isn't just, again, an isolated topic or, or it, we've got to look at it in the context of helping children learn how to develop their uh, communication skills. So, and this information is from my therapy manual. Let's talk about talking. And you can get more information about that in the link below or by going to my website at teachmetotalk.com. All right, so today we are talking about skill number four and developing a longer attention span. So what does that mean? This means a child's ability to stick with something, to stay with you, to participate. And we're talking about this in the context of communication. So not just can he watch a movie for three hours? <laughs> That's not what we're talking about. That's not the kind of attention that we really even want to facilitate with a toddler, especially with a toddler or a preschooler who's having difficulty interacting. And that kind of attention, again, is what some parents really think you're talking about as a therapist when you meet a family or when you first start to assess a child and you ask about their attention or if they happen to be busy with you during the assessment and you're saying, Something like I would say, you know, is he always this way? <laughs> or if you want to word it a little more professionally or not, not being quite so, you know, off the cuff like I'm being right now. But you would ask, you know, talk to me about his attention span. How long can he stick with something? And sometimes parents will say, oh, he can, he can stay with something a long time. There's no problem with his attention. But that's because they're thinking about something particularly with the screen and they're thinking like I just said he can watch his favorite movie two hours in a row and you know it happens to be he sits for three hours not a good idea <laughs> for children who again unless you're in a car on a plane or sick and can't don't really need to be up running around that whole um, fixation there isn't what we want for children to learn how to do. We want them to learn how to share an experience with us and shift their attention from, from the object that they're using and interacting and playing with back to you and to really share that experience. And again, we're talking about actually joint attention there, which is skill number five, and we'll get there. But before we get there, we have to talk about this attention piece. And again, how, how long is that that he's with something more functional like uh, a toy? 
or with you particularly? How long can he interact with you? And we talked about this a little bit with skill number two with responding to people. But again, remember what we've said about all these skills. They're really a continuum of development. So a child will will learn how to respond to toys and objects and learn to respond to people and then we always are looking to bump that up. So remember last time with skill number three, we were talking about with people, we want that reciprocity to develop. So we want that back and forth flow to develop. And so now we're saying, okay, we, don't, we not only want him responding to toys and objects and responding to people and getting that back and forth going, now we want to stretch it out for longer and longer periods of time. And why is that? It's because our brains really are designed to think and for deep focus and not just to flit around. And again, back to the screen issue. Sometimes with screens, we think about that what Dr. Amy Weatherby refers to as sticky attention, meaning I can't move on from that. But another thing really happens with screens too is toddlers really do learn with their little brains. You look, it looks like they're sitting there and kind of vegetative and I've, I've I've said that, you know, I've, I've said that they don't need to kind of be stuck and glued there. But at the same time, their little minds are visually scanning and shifting. And let me just tell you that with so much of the children's programming now, it's so fast, the, the, the visual shifts. And when you, add, when you layer the language on top of that so that it's not really, it's more adult sounding, there's no way they're processing that because they their little brains really have learned scan and shift, scan and shift, scan and shift. And so they're thinking about something or look, really looking at something for just a few seconds before there's a new picture and before there's a new thing. And on one hand, you know, our brains do seek out new things and you, and you don't stay on something, one thing forever, you're adding that next little thought and adding, and even with play, adding that next little piece and adding that next little piece and extending and expanding, and that's great. But you don't want a child to get so habitually used to next thing, next thing, next thing, next thing. That's the difference between like with attention, compare it to reading a book or looking at a book with a child. What, what is the difference between a child who can sit and really look at the pictures and stay with you on a page when you can read the text and say something like, where's that car? Show me the car. Where's the dog? Find that dog. And you do two or three pictures before you turn the page versus a child who sits and it's flip, 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 flip you know they're not processing those pictures and they're certainly not getting the language that you're saying because you're barely able to say anything. You know, you say, where's the hat? You know, <laughs> before he's flipped the page. Well, you've got to pick something new because it's on a new page. And that's, the, that's a good analogy to use when you're talking with parents about attention. Actually, I just kind of thought of that one and I'm going to use it because it's so good. The, and parents can see that there's such a difference between a child who sits and looks at a book that way versus a child who sits and really pays attention to the pictures and really looks at the pictures and lifts, listens to you and shifts his attention to you as you're sitting beside him and reading and really includes you in that. So that, that again is the difference. That's a qualitative difference there. There's, he's, he's processing more. He has an opportunity to learn more because he's exposed to more. It's not just the, the visual buzz that he gets from flipping the pages. So that's what we're gonna be talking about is uh, a longer attention span today. So let's talk about what's normal and what's typical. And as uh, if you're a therapist and you've worked with children for a while, you know this. 
but parents sometimes don't because when they're when we're talking about attention spans, they think that we mean that a child should sit perfectly still with us while we work with them for an hour. Not happening. And again, I've already talked about that uh, we really don't even want that kind of attention because we want children's bodies to be regulated. We don't want them settling down so much that they start, we lose them because they're checking out, they're falling asleep. Um, so again, what is normal with this? Well, there's, I found a study years and years ago that I, I haven't found anything better than this or anything that I agree with more. Really, basically, uh, you know, the, the, the research on this is not as prolific as we would like it to be. But there's a study by Gartner that says that typic, a typically developing toddler can attend to an activity for three to six minutes on her own. And after that, after that three to six minutes, a child is going to need adult support to stay with that activity. And so for me, I think about five minutes. Yeah, that's about right. If I just give a kid a toy and if it's interesting enough and intriguing enough, really the best that I can kind of hope for is about five minutes. If it's something that he really loves, maybe 10 if we're good. Now, certainly some kids can do more than that. And remember, this is just an average. But at the same time, we don't need to have unrealistic expectations about what we're talking about here with attention with toddlers. So we're looking at about that five-minute range. And again, that's on his own. When he's with you as his mom or as his, his speech-language pathologist or his OT or his teacher, his preschool teacher, he should be able to stay with it longer because you are scaffolding. You are providing that additional support so that he notices something else or sees something else and he's able to stay with it. The problem is that's for a typically developing toddler, and we don't see typically developing children in early intervention unless we have, again, the luxury of having a mixed program where we have typically developing toddlers or preschoolers right there alongside the little friends that we're providing intervention with. So our little guys have systems, or if you want to think about if you're a parent and you're thinking, what does she mean by systems? They have brains and bodies. <laughs> that have for some reason they're not considered typically developing because language is not coming in as quickly as we would like and so even if that's their only issue even if they're understanding great and they're you know certainly their motor skills are on track they're walking they're running they're playing with a variety of toys so we know their cognitive skills are developing too even when there's just an expressive language delay they're still not typically developing and that's a hard pill for some parents to swallow and I get it you know I've shared before my own personal experience with um, one of our children who had some learning differences and I, you know I know that as a parent I, I get it I get the distress that you feel when you're thinking about that but we have to keep in mind when something is a mess or something is delayed or there's a little lag in what we would like to see we have to know that yeah their system I'm gonna to have to do some tweaking I'm gonna to have to make some exceptions I need to look for some their own particular learning styles and learning strengths so that I can make it easier for this child to learn and participate and make those gains in communication skills and so so many times again our, our expectations are unrealistic and so that's what we're really talking about with this attention piece we know that if something's gone as we did not expect with language development that we can expect some other little 
hiccups or other little differences to happen too and a lot of times attention is where we see this really really happen and again we're not talking about unrealistic expectations for attention we're talking about children who really really can't even get to that five minute mark and if you're a parent and you're thinking i have no idea what she's talking about hallelujah for you <laughs> because if you have a child who does have who can sit with you for a whole book or a whole play routine or he's not constant you're not having to fight him when he, you want him to sit down for a meal or to uh, sit quietly with you in the grocery store cart while you get your shopping done and then you get to the line and you get out if you have a children a child or children that you don't have any issues with that with you know again fantastic but for most lots of other children with developmental issues attention is one of the things that we certainly see and and i always try to think about this too you know that's one of the pieces if we can get a kid settled down and if we can get a kid to the just right place for learning oh gosh he's at a much better starting point than when, when we're again trying to constantly bring him back and constantly handle that attention piece and the main reason it, this is so important is attention really is the gatekeeper for every other skill that a child will learn and what do I mean by that I mean it comes first until you have that attention piece until he can get his little system settled enough to be able to listen to you and we're going to talk about three kinds of kids too busy kids flatter kids and, and kids that are stuck kids that are frozen we're going to talk about these three kind of kids and, and some kids are a mix of these different profiles you'll see different different issues kind of at different times but when we can address that and really really get a child figure out you know where they are and give them that additional support we're going to um, make the gate open so that they can be able to learn and be and, and this isn't just relevant for language development this is applicable to any kind of skill that you're going to be helping a child acquire and again it's not just for toddlers either it's for all it's for preschoolers it's for older children and it's even for adults you yourself know that when you are somewhere and your attention is waning you are in a conference or you are in a a meeting at work that goes on and on and on or you are um i don't like to use this example but if you're at church <laughs> and your mind has wandered off you know that you've got to bring your attention back to be able to focus on what the person is saying otherwise you're going to miss information and so that's what's happening with our little guys and we can't always do it behaviorally we can't always do it with you will sit right here and listen which is what a lot of parents try to do and they don't really get this whole what what i've taken now 15 minutes to kind of explain the precursor with that is their little systems for whatever reason for whatever little profile they're falling in they it's not that they won't pay attention it's that they can't pay attention and so you really need to help parents understand that uh, and we've already talked about attention is the gatekeeper so it is absolutely necessary for anything that we want a toddler to learn and again I'm saying toddler a preschooler a young child but it really does go all the way through adulthood there if a kid's too busy she doesn't give herself ample time to uh, develop an attention span or certainly learn what you want her to learn if she's too flat affect or, or, or some parents call it checked out or daydreaming, whatever a parent might call it, if they're not really engaged in an activity because they're not 
they're not revved up enough. There's certainly kids like that who fall into that category. And then there's a third category that I've already mentioned, the kids who are just fixated on something or if they're, and it's, you know, it's that whole fight, flight, or freeze part. They're just stuck on whatever it is that they uh, are paying attention to and they can't move on for whatever reason. And so those are mostly the three, those are the three kinds of kids that we're going to be talking about. And again, kids and you, you might see yourself in some of these same examples. I certainly do. And so let, let's kind of talk about that. And we have to remember for all three, all three of those kinds of children who have those attention issues, they, we've got to help them learn how to listen. And listening is such an important part of language development. Kids don't ever learn how to talk until they've heard the word and until they understand what the word means and until they can, again, cognitively join that concept, that, that concrete concept of cup with that word that they just heard, that listening part. And so, again, it's just critical that we help kids learn how to listen and so there are children who, again, will be predisposed to difficulty with that. Certainly kids, even with mild hearing losses, that's going to affect their ability to learn language. Kids with other established medical diagnoses who have neurological differences, they're going to have difficulty with that system too. Children with uh, sensory processing or sensory regulation issues, so we've already talked about those, those kinds of kids who are so busy or hyper or active, they're just on the go all the time they're going to have some difficulty with listening and with developing that attention span because again they aren't settled enough to do it and we've already mentioned our little our, our kids who are you know we're looking at kind of this this continuum you know they're swing this way and they're the busy kids and then swing all the way to the other extreme those are the kids that are more low arousal and the flatter kids and so we can't talk about every nuance with sensory processing and sensory regulation you know that's why if you're a parent and, and you're really thinking oh boy she's nailed it she's she knows my kid she knows what's going on here and you haven't seen an ot that's certainly something that, that i would want to recommend to you is to uh, work with an occupational therapist even if it's just for a short time even if it's just for you having someone to talk to you about how sensory processing or sensory regulation should look with the child and help you get some additional strategies in place for that and and even if even just to help you understand your child better so an ot is so so helpful and as i used to say when i did a lot of live speaking events i would tell therapists i would say you know you need to take out your phone and if you don't have an ot in your phone <laughs> and i used to say an ot on speed dial if you don't have an ot that you regularly uh, pair with and can talk to or at least pick their brains well enough to you know call and say hey this is sally slp and i've got another question if you don't have somebody like that get get somebody like that develop that kind of relationship so that you can really really learn how they think about this and what they do and again uh, to be able to explain it well enough to parents so that you're not stumbling all over yourself and that you can help a parent really really understand these differences okay so when kids have these sensory regulation issues well, let me just talk about how I explain this to parents so that, again, if you are a therapist and, uh, like I said before, you stumble all over your words, let me just say exactly what I say. Sensory processing and regulation is how we all react to incoming information. And when you, you have to learn, even as a baby, a toddler, a preschooler, a young child, how to filter out that information. So you have to learn, like, what's important, what to pay attention to, and then what to ignore. And we all 
have to do this and have to get really, really good at this. And so we have to get our physical bodies regulated so that we can do the things that make us healthy. We have to eat. We have to sleep. We have to participate in that everyday life. And then we also have to uh, learn how to keep ourselves um, in that in that just right place, not, not too... And not too excited, not overly excited, but not too under-responsive either so that things become stable and predictable for us and that we can remain steady, kind of, you know, go up, go down a little bit, but still kind of have that steady, that steady spot. And so many of our children, and sometimes when this happens with a kid, you look at their older siblings or their parents <laughs> and you see these same kinds of issues. And so we really need to explain how, how sensory processing and sensory regulation should work. So that parents get a good idea of that and the main reason that we that we want to do this again is to get that steady place so that we're able to regulate our emotions and regulate how we feel and our responses when something happens so that when the fire alarm goes off we might be a little afraid but we're not so afraid that we're paralyzed and can't get out of the house or get out of the you know that we don't go into a scream a screaming fit in your preschool classroom so that you're able to listen to your teacher and you know get out the door even if it's just even if it's just a drill even if it's just practice and so that's why that's so important because so many of our little guys are so busy trying to make sense of that internal noise that's happening that they really they can't listen yet and they can't learn yet and so we we have to get them in those places and again an ot will help you with that and i hope that you can get access to that all right so We've already talked about what an attention span is, and we've already talked about what the normal expectation is. And remember, what did I say? What does research say about that if you're a therapist? How long is it? It's about five minutes with adult, without adult support and longer with adult support. And then, so let's talk about when you're, at, when you're talking to parents as a therapist, since this is a continuing education course, even though it's on YouTube and um, iTunes. The purpose of this, again, is to give you information. So let me kind of make this a little bit more course-like so that you know how to use this information and not just think about it, but how can I use this? These are the things that you want to ask parents about when you first start to meet them. So when a kid has a toddler or a young preschooler has an adequate attention span, what does it look like? Well, they are paying attention to something for at least five minutes on their own, and if you stay with them, they can do it even longer. And they do show interest in and participate in a variety of different activities and play routines. So it's not just that they are good at paying attention to one thing, we want to see that consistently throughout their little day. Now, when the skill is not developing, remember we talked about we can ha look, kids can look like they're at either end of that a pendulum swing. They're really, really busy, or they're really, really flat, or they are stuck at some point. And so that's what we're really, really talking about. If it takes a lot of work to get a child to sit with you and pay attention with you, that's something you want to talk to parents about. If it's your second or third visit or your tenth visit and you just feel like you have to practically sit on a kid <laughs> or hold them to get them really, really finally calm enough, you need to say to a parent, um, you know, I'm concerned about this attention span. This is certainly a factor and why uh, your child isn't developing language at, at the rate that we would expect him or her to. We've got to get this attention under control. And again, some parents think that you're trying to diagnose ADHD. No, that is a school age diagnosis. We would never want to do that. You know, we're certainly not going to medicate a toddler for an attention issue. We're going to work with, with, with getting their little bodies regulated like we talked about with, with uh, help from an occupational therapist. 
Uh, and we, as the therapist and parents, are going to do our part to modify that child's environment. So those are the things that we kind of look for. And, and why is this important? Why is attention important for language development? Well, if a child can't focus and listen, she's missing out. She's not getting the same kind of exposure or opportunities that we talk about. Those two words are so important. She's just not getting enough practice. She's not getting enough uh, experience with whatever it is that you're trying to teach her because she's trying to move on or you can't get her, you know, revved up enough to be able to pay attention or she's stuck on something else. So we have to really, really, really look at that and understand why it's such an important pre-linguistic skill uh, that we have to help children acquire. So when we are looking at strategies, what are the very best ways that we can help a toddler develop an attention span? And remember, we've already talked about those three kinds of kids. So here's what we have to do. We have to find ways to help busy kids slow down so that they're ready to listen and learn. We have to find ways to help our disengaged or flatter or less aroused kids rev up so that they can listen and learn. And we have to find ways to help kids that are stuck learn to move on so that they can listen and learn. So either way, the goal is the same. It's getting a child in that just right place for listening and learning. And again, that's how you explain regulation to a parent is that just right place. And parents know that about themselves too. The kicker is, as adults, through this maturation process, we learn now. We learn in elementary school that you really have to stay in your seat or your teacher's going to be really, really mad. And so you get, you start to figure out what your strategies are and you, you get some self-control even as a young child. And again, that matures and stuff. So you have to help parents, again, think about this as a continuum, that they are not going to be able to just with the behavioral, um, you know, punishment kind of perspective, help a child learn how to do that children have to we have to get them ready externally and then so that they can adapt these things internally that help them know about their own bodies and their own little attention spans so um, the, uh, let me just say this one more thing too and I really emphasize this and let's talk about talking there is not a one-size-fits-all strategy for any of the skills that we're talking about and so I'm just so reluctant sometimes to really say you know here's like the cookbook approach because Gosh, that's one of the reasons I love this job is because it's not, um, it's not always the same for every child. Now, there are patterns and there are, you know, you can go methodically kind of through a list of strategies and see, which is certainly what we're going to try here. But I'm, I want you to really think about that because when a kid, it doesn't have an adequate attention span so that he can't stay with you through to, you know, play with a toy or stay with an activity, um, you, you know that... It's not the same reason for every single kid. You know, we talked about the busy kids, the less aroused kids, and the kids who are fixated on things. And so we have to have some different strategies. However, <laughs> there is one strategy for all toddlers that really does, that, that's my go-to thing first because it works so well. And it does help the busy kids calm down, and it helps the flat kids rev up, and it helps the fixated kids move on, and that's movement. And so when we have a kid who's trying to run away, we know, hey, he's hit, for whatever reason, his little body's got to get up and move. And go back to that example that I gave you earlier. As an adult learner, when you were somewhere where you're really, really kind of forced to pay attention, and you find yourself just either, you know, your skin's crawling, you just can't sit there, in, you know, another minute, or you find yourself getting a little bit sleepy, what do you do? You usually find some kind of way to move. If it's serious, you get up and go to the restroom, right? Or you get up and stretch, or you just, 
you know, a long time ago, people would go smoke, right? <laughs> go take a smoke break. And so that was just really, really moving. And again, giving their bodies time to regulate. So we, or, or let you can't, let's say you can't move. What do you do? Well, I'm a leg shaker. I mean, sometimes on the podcast, when I go back and look at it, I can, I can, I think, oh boy, I, why was my leg shaking there? I can see my head moving. So I was really, really doing that. Uh, and usually on the podcast, it's not that I'm falling asleep. It's that I'm probably trying to calm myself down. So it's the other end of that. And so just think about this. Or some adults maybe would chew gum because that helps them regulate or suck on a piece of candy. And so, again, we all do these things. And and that's all those things, chewing gum, sucking on candy, moving your leg. You might not think about those as or doodling on your paper, doodling or digging through your bag or um, being on your phone. All those have some kind of movement component, right? So that's what we want to think about with kids is is let's see what kind of movement helps get them in that just right place. And again, remember what we said about those those three kinds of kids. This can really accomplish, that, that one strategy can accomplish whatever those goals are for those three different kinds of kids. And so what, what kinds of things do you do to move in a session with a kid? Well, when I first started looking at sensory stuff back in 2000, 2002, OTs would talk about movement breaks. And so they would say for speech pathologists that we needed to give a kid a movement break. And, it, you know, my daughter's in grad school right now, and, and she's, I'm not going to talk too much about her because, boy, I don't want to get her in trouble. <laughs> but, but movement breaks, I was, she was said that, that she was giving a kid a movement break in a session. And I was saying, you know, what are, what are you doing for that? What, what are you doing for a movement break? Do you, and this is what OTs used to tell us to do. They would tell us to do that, and, and therapists would, and even I was guilty of it a little bit until I realized, boy, I'm losing too much time here. They would think about a movement break in that there, a kid is going to completely stop an activity with you and get up and go do something that is totally unrelated, like a, a real, like a break, like a, like a break at work, and then come back to you and resume therapy. With toddlers, we don't need to do that. We need to maximize every single minute of therapy that we get with the kid. And so for your break there, for your movement, you still want to make that therapeutic. So I, I can do a social game with that, meaning that I can chase them around and, you know, do getcha, getcha, getcha. Or we can do something like, um, even something like marching, 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 a song like that. Or we can do something uh, pretty intentional where we swing them in a blanket. So if I'm in a family's home and I'm losing a kid's attention and I know that he or she, let's say they're really flat or really busy, constantly running out of the room, and I say to mom, hey, let's grab this um, throw from the back of the couch and we're going to put him on this throw and you grab one end and I'm going to grab one end and we're going to make a little game of this and swing him. Uh, if you're in a therapy situation, uh, a clinic or a school, and you have that, you could do a, a lycra, um, like a lycra blanket. That's one of my best strategies. I love doing that because a child can move around, or not a blanket, but a piece of lycra. You know, you can go to uh, a material store, a fabric store, and get that, or certainly order some prepackaged. Uh, lycra to do that with. But those, those, that's a great strategy. Something like going on. Um, playground equipment. So if you are seeing a child at preschool and he is really, really dysregulated, as a therapist, I'm sure you've already figured out, let me get him to the gym or let me get him outside. And while you're doing that, again, you're not just letting him do his own thing. 
you're really making that a part of therapy. So you do a verbal routine with that, you come up with a little song, you're talking to them, but the whole purpose again is to keep them with you, keep them participating as their little bodies are regulating. So those are just some ideas. And again, we could do a whole show about this. So many of our little social games that we talk about, you know, throwing a kid up in the air or even something like on your lap, a game like one, two, three, where you are sitting flat on the floor and you have a kid right in front of you sitting on your knees and you raise them up and say, you know, up, 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 down or one, two, three, or you know, if you're you're on your back and you want to put a kid on your legs and you do flying like a rocket ship, or if you want to have a kid just bounce in there and sing, ride a little horsey, or do a little game like Humpty Dumpty, you can do those kinds of things. And again, you're keeping the kid with you and you're providing that movement piece. So those are some great ideas to get that going where it's still participatory and you are still working on your speech language goals and your overall goal of helping them interact with you and communicate with you. But you're doing it, uh, again, in a way that helps them regulate and helps them get get to that place where then you can move on and do a toy or do something else and for some kids you can accomplish most of your your communication goals especially at the beginning with what you're working on if your main focuses are these pre-linguistic things you can do a whole session with social games and move kind of movement kinds of things and you don't and for some kids they don't need the toy because when you bring out the toy then you're gone <laughs> their attention to you you might as well just leave the room because then they're so hyper fixated on the toy and so think about that think about how you can do that and uh let's talk about talking the book that i mentioned before that has some great things in it but i have another book called teach me to play with you where i you know there's gosh 50, probably more like 100 different activities with between little games and little songs, the ways that you can use just these, um, like spinning in a chair or when a kid wants to put on a hat, those kinds of things. How can we make that interactive and still give a kid that movement piece or that piece to help him regulate? So take a look at that. So that was strategy number one. And again, that's your go-to strategy for a toddler when you're losing them no matter what the reason is, is get up and move. Now, again, we can extend this a little further, and we know that movement works so well for attention, so why wouldn't we use that all the time? So this is what I have kind of adopted as one of my, or adapted, whatever the correct word is, I guess it's adapted, as one of my core treatment philosophies is, I'm gonna use a move, sit, move, sit, move, sit, schedule or plan for my sessions with a child and I talk to parents about doing this at home especially when they're saying I just cannot keep her attention I've tried to do some of the same things that we do and I you know you're t you've you've given me some great ideas but Laura she just won't stay with me and so I say how tell me about how it's going what what are you doing and a lot of times it's just that parents are having that expectation that their child is going to be able to sit with them for 20 30 45 minutes at a time and play and again we've already talked about how unrealistic that is according to research we have some statistics to back that up and so even this move sit move sit move sit works not only for therapists who are in a clinical setting or even if you're doing home visits with a child and you're still doing a lot of direct treatment with the child and a lot of modeling for parents Look at that with how you schedule things. And, uh, you know, start with a movement activity to kind of get a kid going and get them, again, in that, in that settled place, whether, no matter whether they've had to come up to be settled or come down to be settled or move on to be settled. Do that movement activity and then have a sit-down play activity. And then when you're finished with that one activity, if they're really you're really sensing that they need to um, have that movement break for whatever reason, 
get up and do another movement-based therapy activity. Do another social game. Do another kind of running, kind of relay game. Uh, for I use puzzles for this, where I have a puzzle with me, and we're running and putting the the. Uh, or we have the pieces and the puzzles on the other side of the room and we're running and putting the piece in the puzzle and then running back and if you have a kid who needs more than that you can put a tunnel in the middle or a slide in the middle and make it like a little obstacle course or if you're at home you pile the pillows up so that they have to walk on the couch cushions or the pillows to get to the puzzle and then you Put the piece in and then they run back or if you're uh, working on social interaction it's just that mom you've got the pieces right there and mom is on the other side of the room with the puzzle and they're running the piece to mom putting it in the puzzle and running back and you can do that with any toy you can just you can do it with balls or trucks or shoes <laughs> you can have a pile of shoes with you and mom has a basket and you're saying let's let's put the shoes in the basket and again you are accomplishing that move sit move sit move sit principle and you use it the whole entire session and you teach parents how to do it too and that really really helps the kids stay with you and honestly guys you can go from a kid who says very little with you because they're just doing everything they can to get away from you and, and you're thinking about you know you're having to think how do I manage his behavior oh I can't stand that you know it, that is what we're doing but when we say that for a toddler that that is on us to think about how it's not managing his behavior it's managing our behavior it's helping that kid give, giving him ways to move on and opportunities to move on that still include us that still are great for him for teaching language and you know we can teach words anywhere anytime and so a kid doesn't have to just be sitting with you in one little spot and I know I'm preaching to the choir here for, uh, for therapists I know you already know this but these are the kinds of things that you talk to parents about so that the, excuse me my glasses fell so that you are really really um Helping parents understand this too. And so they're not thinking this is all about I'm going to sit on this kid and make him listen. You know, they're not like that. You're helping them understand their child and how their child is made up. All right, so that's number one, movement. Number two, move, sit, move, sit. Number three, we're going to give them a reason to listen. So another really common sense strategy uh, here is that we do things kids like so especially at the beginning in therapy and especially with toddlers and so if you have a child again that you are constantly struggling with to get him to do something with you you're not doing the right things so talk to his parents about what he likes or his teacher or whoever the uh, adult caregiver is that you are interacting with so that you can get an idea of, you know, maybe you're trying to do, uh, you know, baby dolls with a, a, ch a little girl who likes trucks. And again, that's a real simplistic kind of, uh, you know, stereotypical example there. But at the same time, it's really, really true. And so you talk to parents. And I've had kids before that I'm just bringing out toys and I'm just doing everything I can. And then I'll bring out a snack bag and... They stay with me for 45 minutes. Now, do I want a kid just stuffing his mouth and with all kinds of junk? No, but yes. If he's staying with me, <laughs> if that's what it takes, okay, I'm fine with that. You know, if he's learning. And so you have to really, really learn. And I've had kids, too, that, that you know, I'm trying all kinds of toys and all kinds of things. And then I start playing social games, and they're with me. And they're, they're, they're just they're so interactive, and there's such a difference in their behavior before when I was trying to play with a toy versus when it was just when I was the toy and so experiment and see what a kid likes and see what a kid can do so I call that give them a reason to listen so start with things they like to keep them with you and you can expand that you can add additional things 
if a kid is really kind of a, a, a kid that, again, kind of gets fixated on something like drawing, you can draw different things so that they can uh, guess what you're drawing and you've got some other language things there. Or, you know, a kid like that's probably going to like Play-Doh or probably like to paint. And so think about those kinds of things. What's related here? What can I, what can I bring in that's just a little bit new, a little bit different that they're probably going to like too? Kids who love water play usually like other kinds of sensory play. So mom says they love the bathtub. She'll say, gosh, I, sometimes I'll let him stay in there an hour because he really, really likes it. Think about what kind of sensory play that you can do with that child. Does he, will he like shaving cream? Will he like digging in a box of beans? Can mom put some water in the sink and you do therapy in the sink? Can I've got a great uh, toy that I got last year was a little sink with running water. And so for kids that moms tell me they like a bath time, they like water play, oh, that's one of the first things we do. So think about that, how you can use a child's preferences to uh, not only get his attention going, but expand it and keep him with you. The next thing that we want to do is something that is, we all know about it and we sort of think about it, but sometimes we're not careful enough and so it becomes a problem and we really have to avoid a child's fixations or obsessions. And we know that really is, lots of toddlers get that anyway, even typically developing toddlers, because that's really a marker for kids who have red flags for autism. When they are so stuck or that sticky attention that we uh, again that's dr weatherby's uh, word for that when they're when they're really stuck right there like that we don't want to do those things in therapy and so i'm, I'm doing a therapy tip of the week about this later so i hope you'll check it out but i really do have a love-hate relationship with spinny light toys and Thomas the Train and electronic toys <laughs> that say the same thing over and over and over, over because kids really like them but at the same time they're terrible because you can't get in there and if you're thinking about attention just from a strictly how long can he sit in one spot and do one thing you know again that's that's not what we're going for here we want children to be able to interact and communicate so avoid those obsessions and fixations and in that therapy tip of the week I'll give you some tricks or some strategies uh, that work in sessions and that will work for parents at home. Another thing we can do here is body on body contact. And that is so regulating for children. And if you think back like to the research that we know about preemies in the NICU, a lot of times they'll, they'll want parents to have that skin on skin contact. And, and that same principle holds true for toddlers and even older children, and I'm not saying to a therapist, certainly, you know, you're going to strip off. No. <laughs> but I am saying hold children. Keep them close to you. When you, A lot of times when we have kids, and you're not going to hold them down like it's a behavioral thing, like that you're going to sit here thing. You're going to be loving and nurturing as you do that. So you read a book with a kid in your lap. Or you play a game where, again, they're close to you. And sometimes when a therapist, it, it doesn't happen very much anymore, thank goodness. Thank God for that. But sometimes a parent will email me back and say, you know, I was so uncomfortable with that recommendation. And I, I just am not, I, I just think in this day and age, we have to be so careful. And I understand why, why therapists would think that. But, I, you know, I think that that's not really developmentally appropriate. Babies and toddlers and even preschoolers need that close connection. And if you're a therapist and you're uncomfortable with doing that, I hope that you're talking to parents about that anyway. And if you look at the most effective preschool and kindergarten teachers, these are always women and men who are very loving and who by nature, you know, are full of hugs and, you know, they may not be picking kids up like we do with our toddlers and preschoolers because, you know, to me, a five-year-old is 
big. But at the same time, they're still really, really, really physically close to kids. You know, you see them touching children as they walk around the classroom or squeezing their little hands or, you know, again, there, there's that body-on-body -body contact. So, so, so regulating uh, for children. One thing that I want to talk about um, kind of in-depthly, and I think we're getting kind of close to the end of this hour, uh, but it's one thing that can really, really help kids develop a longer attention span is to limit their screen time. So it's to really, really unplug. Now, I did this podcast series, like I mentioned before, when I first started uh, developing these pre-linguistic skills, this list, kind of my this is how I, how I write a book or write a therapy manual is I have a topic and I think about it and I, I work on it and I'm, I get an outline and I, I get it all together and then I just I, I put it together and then sometimes I'll do a podcast series about it or some, some kind of way to teach it and then I write the book. And so that's what happened with Let's Talk About Talking. I did a podcast series about it first. And so I went back and I've been listening to those shows as a way to prep for this series. And in 2016... I talked about that it's so that it would be unrealistic for me, Laura Mize, to unplug and to turn off the TV, and that so I just really talked about limiting screen time, and it was so funny because I said, uh, you know, that so many parents can't do that, and that's still true. But guys, if you followed my website or if you're on my email list, you know that. Uh, for a year now, I really have unplugged. I don't watch TV at all anymore. I mean, like it's been on four times in our house in the last year, and that's when our grandchildren have come over and for whatever reason turned it on. And it has been totally liberating for me. And again, I don't want to share too much of my personal story here in this professional context, but I've really, really struggled with anxiety and depression because of a family event that happened to us. And for me, for my anxiety, one of the best things that I ever did was turn off the TV. And it also was get off social media and really stop letting my mind be so controlled by screen time. And, and you know, I, I just preach it now because it's been so effective for me. And I think back to the families that I worked with, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, who just said to me, Laura, I just turned, I just took the TV out of our house. My husband and I just said, we are done. And I thought they were extreme. I thought they were radical. And, oh, hello, I have joined you <laughs> because I am now doing that too. And for so many of our little guys, again, this is what parents need to do. And so I get that it's unrealistic, but now I will no longer say it can't be done because I've done it. And you're probably thinking, she has a website. How in the world can she tell me not to be on, uh, on a screen? I'm just saying don't do it all day. Don't be obsessed about it. And don't let our little kids do it either. Because when they are irritable and when they are cranky and when you can't get them to really pay attention to anything else, they're overstimulated. And that, again, is counterintuitive for some parents to think about. They think, no, it's the opposite way. No, it's that they're overstimulated. They have had to work so hard to process all that visual information that they are just a mess when you've let them do that for an hour or two. And I think back to our own children. I, I have Our oldest child is 30 now. I can't even believe it. But when he was a middle schooler, I mean, we really learned, boy, he cannot play video games for more than 30 minutes or so at a stretch because he is just... Uh, you know, then we couldn't get homework done. Coming to the dinner table was a struggle. He was grouchy with his brother and sister, you know. And, and so you just have to know that. You just have to really, really know in your heart, yeah, he likes that movie. He wants to do that game. It's quote, unquote, educational. 
but not really. And so you have to look at these effects and really, really think about, you know, what's this really doing to this child? As a therapist, these are hard conversations to have because, again, you may not want to look like me with the whole, cut it off, don't do it anymore, that kind of thing. But at the same time, you should really talk to parents about those limits. And the American Academy of Pediatrics really has recommended some pretty um, – Years ago, they were saying kids under three shouldn't watch TV at all. Now they've said that screen time should just be interactive so that a parent's doing a screen with a child. And so, and also that they talk about high quality programming. So parents that are just letting their kids, again, watch YouTube for video after video after video after video, you know, a little bit of any, even a good thing can ruin it. And so talk to parents about those limits. Uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics current recommendation is for children with, for two to five years, you limit their screen use to one hour a day of high quality programming and parents should co-view. So a parent should be sitting right there with them and really talking about what they're seeing. And let me just say this, I last week started a line of kid videos that we have on our YouTube channel. And they are, the, they are based on these evidence-based principles in that we don't want to do a, promote a lot of scanning and shifting. We want just short segments of time, you know, 10 to 15 to 20-minute videos. 20 minutes is probably even too long, but that 10 to 15-minute time. And we are really, really working on developing um, language skills. And so for me, for that little line of video, it's language and play. And remember with play... Video modeling, especially for kids on the spectrum, really is an evidence-based strategy that we can use. But uh, think about that when you're talking with parents about it and, and think about talking about high-quality programming, why some things, if, if, it's, if it's too much language and kids are and, and they're switching, they're doing all those, like cartoons, kids can't really process that. They might like it and it might look like they're enjoying it, but they're, and, and they're not really, really, really learning from that, especially our little friends with language delays and who have attention problems. So talk to parents about that and talk about those differences here. And again, if we see a child who's irritable, who's aggressive, who's overly sensitive, who's falling apart, who can't really, really function for whatever reason. Now, when I see a kid like that, I immediately say, how much screen time is he getting? Let's talk about your day. And again, not to be punitive to a parent or be filled with condemnation you don't want to do that but at the same time you want to give parents good information so that so that they're making good choices about their children or at least are able to make better choices because they they know and you know I, I love this quote when we know better we do better and so sometimes parents just don't understand that what screen time and too much screen time is doing to their child. So go back and really talk about that. All right, the next strategy is another one that I'm going to do a therapy tip of the week about, and it's called the one more rule. So when we are extending attention, again, we don't think about with the child going from, he can only stay with me two minutes, my goal is 10 minutes. You're not going to get there in one sitting. You've got to think, how can I incrementally improve this child's ability to stay with me and stay with this toy? And it's just by doing one more of whatever you're doing. One more page of the book. One more piece of the puzzle. One more repetition with if, if, uh, asking you if he's at a request, if you're at the requesting stage and he's using some signs or some single words, 
and he's been able to do it with you three times in a row before running off, you want him to do it four times. And the next time you want him to do it five times before he has to kind of run from you and you do your little movement, you, you, you move from sitting to moving. And so think about that. It's just that one more time rule. And I love that. I love it. And it's actually evidence-based. James McDonald uh, has talked about this. And again, he's a uh, He's a speech pathologist that I found out about about 20 years ago. And he really talked about just not trying, again, to make these, these huge leaps with children. It's just to make that little incremental step. So that one more rule. And so watch that therapy tip of the week to get some additional ideas with that. Uh, and we can take the one more rule a step further. And I've already talked about this with strategies and with picking your activities. You just extend uh, the toy or the turn again with just one more new little thing. So maybe you're you're we've talked about with the puzzle, one more piece of the puzzle or one more page of the book or one one more block on the stack before we have to go away. But you can also do this with one more new idea or new activity. So let's say that you are working with a child with uh, playing with a doll set and all that you've been able to get the kid to do so far is um, give the baby a bottle and maybe pat the baby or give the baby a kiss and so then you think okay well she likes dolls or he likes dolls and he wants to stay with me and do this and so let me think of just one more new little thing that I can do how about we I get him to cover up the baby with a blanket and we do a little night night routine that would be extending that that play routine just by one additional thing and so if you think okay so if when we're playing with a racetrack and let's say you have one of those little cool swirly racetracks I use them all the time that you put the cars in and all the kid has been able to do is push the button well and then you've been getting the cars and putting them back up here your one more little thing with that might be that he picks up the car and either tries to put it in himself or that he hands the car to you that would actually be the best thing because you're interacting then or think about you know just again whatever it is just the next little step with the toy what's just one more little thing I can teach her what's one more little additional thing if he's been playing with the Thomas uh, he's got 25 Thomas trains and he lines them all up and you have that's what he does you can't think well I'm gonna bring out the train tracks and we're gonna get them on there no, his one more little thing might be let's put the train, let's put two pieces together or let's crash the trains. Let's just do one more new little thing with it. So think about that so that you can um, extend just that one more time. Uh, the last strategy I want to share here for extending attention is super, super important. And I try to do it with every kid, with every activity. And I've done it for years and years and years. It's making a kid clean up. So it's having a cleanup routine for every single activity that you're doing. Now, if you walked in my new uh, space now, my therapy room is a mess. <laughs> and I, have, I, I do this better sometimes. I, I try to do it all the time. But I do this, let me just say, let me just say, you should do this. You should try really hard to have children clean up an activity before you move on to the next activity. And sometimes this works better in theory than it does in practice, but especially if I'm seeing a kid one-on-one. -on -one. The reason it's so messy is because I'm doing a lot of little little diets where I have two kids together. And, and that's harder to do. But if you can do this, especially if you're seeing a kid one-on-one, -on -one, and especially as a parent, if you have your kid that you're working with one-on-one, -on -one, 
get a cleanup routine so that you are having a basket or a, a the box sometimes sometimes parents will save the box that the toy came in or even just putting it in a toy box for me if you've watched my dvds you know that i have giant uh, two and a half gallon ziploc bags that i like to keep toys in i've had friends who are more crafty than me who make little bags the therapist friends make little bags for all their toys and it's and if you do a lot of home visits especially when we all could take toy bags <laughs> that wasn't a no-no like it is now um, you we did that and so I like that because it really keeps your play structured it, your play routine has a beginning when you get that that toy out of that bag and then it has a middle when you're playing with a toy and the end of that is that you do your cleanup routine now I am um, 53 and my oldest child is 30 like I told you before so I still sing the Barney cleanup song for my end ending routine, at least at the beginning, to get kids used to cleaning up. There's a cute little Daniel the Tiger uh, show right now on PBS, I think, that I have one family, just a darling family, and they use the the little song from there, you know, clean up, pick up, put away. I've heard therapists use different variations of things. That's fantastic. When a kid gets a little better with that, you can even use that time for receptive language. So that, let's say that you have a puzzle and then you're, instead of putting all the puzzle pieces at the beginning, after the kid has put the puzzle in, you might just sing clean up, clean up and put the puzzle pieces in. But after he's gotten used to that routine, for a couple of sessions or as a parent, you know, a couple of weeks that you've done that, then that's when you start saying, oh, find the car, put the car piece in first. Oh, let's find the choo-choo. And you could do that with regular toys too. If you're, if, and, and parents love this routine. If the, the den is just a mess, their living area where their children have just been playing and you've got your little guy who's working on receptive language and you're really trying to work on attention too and you are doing this whole strategy of getting him to, uh, clean up to extend his attention that you can do you know let's get all the balls and put the balls away great now let's find all the cars great go get that book go find that book let's put that on the shelf and you can really work on receptive language and again that's part of your cleanup routine so super 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 strategy for that okay in let's talk about talking i have listed some great activities that i've mentioned here on the show so things like the toddler obstacle course uh, games to keep a kid close to you for body on body on body contact like rocking um, movement games like get you get you get you stomping and marching all of that I also want to direct your attention to a therapy tip of the week that I did in 2017 when let's talk about talking was first released and it's using a placemat method for cueing a toddler's attention and I got this idea from a book called right from the start uh, this an older book now it's probably 2005 or 6 but uh, the psychologist and educator who wrote this talked about getting a placemat and using this strictly for children only for when you really 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 need them to pay attention and I've used that method with kids uh, even before I knew I was doing it, like if I did a home visit and I had a kid who was just busy, 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 one of the things I might do is get a blanket. And we always sat on the blanket to play. And when he got up, when we got up to do like our movement little games, whatever, that's fantastic. But we always came back to the blanket to sit down. So when you're giving a kid a visual target like that, you really are helping them maintain attention because you only do it for a few minutes. You have the placemat out if, out if you're on, at a table or a little desk or something. I've got little chairs right now in my new, my new um, 
clinic that we are using where the little, and I bet you've seen these if you've worked in a preschool setting or a toddler's program, where um, they're little plastic chairs, but one side of them, when you sit on one side, it's like a seat and you can flip it over and it's higher, it's like a table. And so again, that's such a visual marker, a visual boundary for a child because they know when I'm sitting here, all my attention is directed right here to whatever is on my little space. So think about that too, ways that you can give a kid a visual uh, target there to help improve attention. All right, again, I wanna tell you, there's so much information in this book. Let's talk about talking. If you haven't gotten your copy and you're a therapist or if you're a parent, really, really with the kid in this pre-linguistic phase and you're doing lots and lots of uh, home programming, which you should be, and if you're watching YouTube or listening on iTunes, you qualify <laughs> because you're doing additional stuff as a parent. So get yourself a copy of that book because I know it's going to help you. And watch those other therapy tips of the week, the one with uh, the one more time rule and then the, the one with the placement method, and I'll try to link those there at the bottom. Hopefully I'll remember that. All right, that's all for this time. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and thank you so much for joining me for Teach Me to Talks podcast.